0: Well, when I was in, I think it was about seventh grade, uh, my mom took my sister and I to New York City to see the sights and to see a a Broadway musical. Now, I don't recall who picked the musical, but I'm going to guess it was my sister, since she's right there, and because we ended up seeing Beauty and the Beast, and no self-respecting seventh grade boy would choose that. Now, (laughs) If you have never seen a Broadway musical live, it is incredible. I mean really. It's it's incredible. And the part I remember most was the transformation of the beast at the end. It was it was stunning. How real they made that look. They somehow rigged it so that the beast was lifted off of his feet. You did not see wires or cables, nothing like that. He began to rotate in the air. There's lights, there's dramatic music, of course there's some fog. But then after a moment he descends again and as the fog fades away he is clearly no longer a beast but a stunning prince. And it just happened right there in front of my eyes. And the way they did it, I knew it was coming. It's not like, well, I wonder what's going to happen, right? It was, the transformation was stupendous. And the reason this came to my mind this week as I thought about this sermon was because the miraculous transformation of the beast is illustrative of the miraculous transformation that happens when a sinner comes to Christ. We've been talking about Christmas is for the broken, so Jesus came for sinners, for the seemingly moral sinner, the religious sinner, you might say, for the shockingly immoral sinner, for every shade of sinner in between, the good news of the gospel is good news for broken people who with broken lives because it gives real forgiveness. That's incredible. But there is more. The good news of the gospel is good news for broken people because it also gives real change. The gospel doesn't just say God accepts you in your brokenness. It does say that. Praise God. But it also says, God will make you whole again. God will change you. God will transform you. God will take your life that has been marred and deformed by sin. And by a power more miraculous and real than anything on a Broadway stage, He will effect a transformation that is, yea, more stunning than the beast turning into a prince. And so here's what I want you to see this morning. We're thinking about brokenness to wholeness. And first, I want you to see the reality of it. So in other words, what do we see when we come to Christ? What do we see? Well, we see brokenness to wholeness. I want you to see the reality of that. That's that's first. And then second, I want you to see the explanation of it. So in other words, why does this transformation happen? When someone comes to Christ. And then third, I want you to see the nitty gritty of it. In other words, how does this transformation actually work day to day and what role do we play in it? Uh, I want to invite you to follow along in the bulletin there. Uh, I'm not going to read all of these texts for you, but It can be there to help you as we go along. So let's just get into the first point. What do we see when somebody comes to Christ? We see a transformation. And I just want you to think about a few examples with me. So Luke 7 tells us about a sinful woman. If you were here with us last week, we talked about this sinful woman in more detail. Well, she comes into this house where Jesus was dining. She finds her way to Jesus. She begins to weep. And she weeps so much that her tears just begin to wet Jesus' feet. And she begins to wipe them off with her hair. And she goes on to kiss Jesus' feet and anoint Jesus' feet. Can somebody just imagine this happening yesterday at your Christmas dinner with family? be a little awkward right well it was awkward here too the host doesn't get what's going on so Jesus explains it to the host and the gist of it is love love This woman has come to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins. She has been forgiven of much. And so she loves much. This uncomfortable display of affection is a fruit of her love. And the bottom line for us is this. When someone comes to Christ for salvation, when someone comes to understand and grasp and believe the truth, every sin they have ever committed or ever will commit it has all been forgiven that leads to love Micah says who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love he will again have compassion on us he will tread our iniquities underfoot you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea Isaiah says, Though your sins are like scarlet, though they be as white, they shall be as white as wool. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the good news of the gospel. That every stain of sin, the stain of sin that was so deep we could not scrub it off. It's been scrubbed off by the blood of Jesus and that leads to love for Jesus. And this is why when someone first comes to Christ, sometimes things can get downright uncomfortable for anybody that's around them. So the college student who is an atheist, he goes on to Amazon, he buys five I Love Jesus t-shirts, that's all he wears for a semester, right? If it's a high school student... Then the parents, if they're not Christians, they're really encouraged by the behavior of their son or daughter, but honestly, they're a little freaked out that this Jesus thing has gone too far. Or if it's an adult, (laughs) just look at the social media feed. The Facebook posts become advertisements for the Bible and the church, and their Christmas cards to family and friends are talking about Jesus and the church, and it's just like... It's love. It's love for Jesus and that love never changes. The outward outward expression of it probably will, okay? It becomes a little less over the top, a little bit more tempered with wisdom towards those who aren't Christians. But it never lessens. In fact, it grows sweeter and it grows deeper with each passing year someone walks with the Savior Jesus. So, what does brokenness to wholeness look like? Well, it looks like love. And I want you to see another point of it. We we see it in Zacchaeus. We mentioned Zacchaeus the other week. He's a tax collector chief tax collector a rich man greedy man he loved his money he took advantage of others to get his money but then he met Jesus Jesus was coming into town he climbs up into this sycamore tree to get a glimpse at him Jesus sees him Jesus says hey hey come down let's go to your house and he hears and he interacts with Jesus and he's transformed Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord behold Lord Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now it's obvious that this is transformation, right? Okay, he, he goes from money-grubber, money-lover, to money giver, restorer, and generous one. That's transformation, clearly. But if we were to think about it more simply, it's simply obedience. It's obedience to the law of God. This man is doing what the law of God commands him to do, which is what? To make restitution. You can't simply say, let's just think about it for a second. You can't simply say, I'm sorry if you've stolen a whole bunch of money, friends. According to the law, you must give that money back. This is obedience. This man is obeying his Savior. Now, it's not obedience in order to be saved, be sure. But it is obedience because he is saved, be sure. But either way, obedience is in the picture. Don't let it pass you by. This is why when someone comes to Christ, all of a sudden what the Bible says about life isn't just whatever. (laughs) It's a matter to be embraced and obeyed. And so the live-in boyfriend who comes to Christ stops being the live-in boyfriend or they marry or they separate. And so the wife begins to take heed to what the Bible says about submitting to her husband. And so the husband begins to take heed to what the Bible says about loving and serving his wife. And so he begins to do that. And so the son or daughter begins to obey their parents or begins to speak more kindly to his siblings or begins to confess what he's done as opposed to, to, to lie so much that you can't seem to unravel it. Coming to Christ leads to obedience to Christ. And just like love for Christ, obedience to Christ deepens over time. And you know this is true, right? So you go from just thinking, okay, I can't lie to my boss anymore about when I clock in and clock out. That's true, and that's a good thing. And when you come to Christ, you think things like that. But it goes further, and you start to think these weird thoughts like, you know... I want to serve my boss like I serve the Lord. I actually want to serve this guy or this gal wholeheartedly with excellence regardless of pay, regardless of recognition. What the heck is that? It's a change that takes place inside you. So, brothers and sisters, these are the two pieces of transformation that you see when any anyone, time anyone comes to Christ. You see two things. Love and obedience do you see those there in Zacchaeus and in this woman do you see the love do you see the obedience you see both in the apostle paul you see love in philippians he's actually faced with possible martyrdom he might his life might be taken from him because of his faith in christ and do you know what he's actually conflicted he knows dying means going to be with jesus which rocks But living means being useful for Jesus, which rocks. And so his love for Jesus leads to this tension. And you see love leading to obedience too. For the love of Christ controls us, he says. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, 2 Corinthians 5. So we who are at home, or so whether we are at home or away, he says, we make it our aim to please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul loved Jesus. Paul obeyed Jesus. His love for Jesus led to his obedience for Jesus. And keep in mind, Paul is not the example of the super-Christian. He's the example for every Christian. Follow me, he says, as I am a follower of Christ. Love and obedience. What you see in the sinful woman, what you see in Zacchaeus, what you see in the Apostle Paul, this is what happens to every sinner when he comes to Christ. Now, it may not be as dramatic. It does not look the same for every soul. But it is a reality for all who are Christ's. It's a reality for all who come to Christ no matter the age. You think, well, what about kids? Yeah, you see it in kids too. How they approach the Bible time they have with their family. How they obey mom and dad. How they relate to siblings and friends and how they act in school. You see it there. This isn't just an adult thing. And and this makes sense, frankly, given the clear teaching we see in the New Testament. In other words, when we look at the Bible... The transformation isn't just something we see displayed. It's something we see taught. So what did Jesus himself say in the offer of the gospel? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Clearly, to become a Christian is to forsake sin and follow Jesus, right? That's transformation. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul teaches the same truth. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, those who don't forsake their sins will not be in heaven. That's what that says. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But I love this next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Coming to Christ is transformative. You, the sinner, bound by your sin, marred by your sin, are changed miraculously changed so that paul can say and such were some of you that that was you but not anymore because you have been washed sanctified justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god brothers and sisters follow me are you seeing the power of the gospel this is so powerful that when someone believes, they are changed. That's why Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's the old? It's the old man. It's the man who lived for sin and self. That man or woman is gone. The beast. <laughs> He's gone. You have a prince. And so we are no longer enslaved to sin, Romans chapter 6. Because those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Galatians 5. Now I just want you to pause with me for just a second. I want to make sure you're with me. It was a long day yesterday and you probably still have turkey running through your system. The New Testament shows us by way of example, by way of instruction, that nothing less than a miraculous transformation takes place when someone comes to Christ. We come to Christ broken. Christ takes us broken. But then Christ transforms us. What we love, ourselves and our own ends, that changes. We love Christ. What we obey, our own impulses, our own desires, that changes. We obey Christ. Do you you see that in the pages of the New Testament, even from just this, this cursory look at it? I want to tell you, if you stick around RGC for any amount of time, you're going to see it in a baptismal testimony. When we baptize a follower of Jesus Christ here at Redeeming Grace, they share with us their testimony. Just their spiritual story, right? What their life was like before Christ, how they came to know Christ, and how their life has changed since coming to Christ. Every testimony is different. Praise God, because every person is different. But every testimony is the same because these three elements are in every one. And isn't it awesome to see how God's grace transforms those who come to Him as you hear it proclaimed before they're baptized? It's glorious. So let me just ask you, how has God transformed you? You do well to reflect on that yourself from time to time. How has God, over the course of your race of faith, increasingly loosed you from sin? How has He changed the way that you think about Him? Relate to Him. How has His Word changed the way you think? How are your priorities and passions, how have they become increasingly God's priorities and passions? How has your love for Jesus deepened? How has your obedience to Jesus deepened? The true stories of Zacchaeus, the true story of this sinful woman, the true account of Paul, this is true of you. Praise God. Isn't it awesome to see God's grace transforming our lives? This is your story. Praise God for the power of the gospel. Amen? Well, how does this happen? Well, when I was at the Broadway theater, I couldn't see the ropes or the cables. I knew they were there. How does this work spiritually in our lives? This transformation. How does God pick us up as it were, twirl us around, set us down and we're the beast and now we're the prince. Well, all right. Number 1, a new union. So that boy looks like his father. Who's who's heard that? Well, of course you've heard that. Everybody's heard that. Family resemblance is real. And not just physically real. It goes a whole lot deeper. So we're impacted in ways we can't articulate by our family. Like it or not, we are significantly shaped and influenced by who our parents are. Well, before you became a Christian, do you know who your father was? Your father was Adam. You me we were all born in the likeness of our father Adam and Adam was a rebel against God Adam didn't obey God Adam didn't submit to God Adam didn't love God that despite God's unbelievable kindness generosity and care for him he did give him life but Adam wanted to be his own god and so do we <laughs> Every one of us on the planet wants to be our own God. Now, we don't say that. Maybe we don't even think that. But that's what's behind even why young children don't want to submit to their parents. Have you ever watched a baby get changed and wondered, Why the heck does that baby arch his back and refuse to submit to a diaper change? The diaper change is like for his good. He's got poo all over him and he's refusing to allow it to be cleaned. Oh, friends, because he is like his father, Adam. (laughs) To his own detriment, he wants to rule himself and that's us too. We just get better and more sly about it as we get older. All of us are born in the likeness of Adam. But when we come to Christ... There's a new union. And we're no longer in Adam, we're in Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you were converted, when the Spirit of God opened your eyes to see the dreadful state that you were in, and He gave you faith to trust in Jesus, you were joined to Jesus in that moment. You have union with Christ and miraculously and divinely this connection with Adam is broken. And what becomes dominant in your life, visibly apparent in your life, is this connection to Jesus Christ. And so whereas before you were a Christian you looked and acted like your father Adam now you look and act like your husband, Christ. And the reason for this is because just like in marriage, where everything is shared between spouses, when you are joined to Christ, he shares everything of himself with you. And so not only is your status with God changed, because Jesus has given you his righteousness, it's been credited to you by faith, your character is actually changed because Jesus' righteousness begins to influence you given your connection to him. So it's kind of like this. I mean, those are, those are high truths, but it's kind of like this. Let me just put flesh on it for just a second. In marriage, you can tell if somebody's been married for a long time, you know? And you can tell because the spouses, I'm looking at you more aged ones. The spouses begin to kind of act like one another and reflect one another to a degree, right? Have you seen that? They've influenced each other. And that makes total sense. They've changed one another and that makes total sense. Now in marriage, it goes both ways. I'm influencing Kristen, Kristen's influencing me. You can pray for her. She has a hard job. But in our marriage with Christ, it's all one way. Christ is influencing us. Christ is changing us. Christ is transforming us. And the longer we live with Him in this union, the more this union is evident to all. So one reason we go from brokenness to wholeness is this truth of a new union. Another reason is the truth of a new heart. So I'm not like a huge sci-fi fanatic, okay? But I have taken a fancy to the Lost in Space show that's on Netflix. We've watched season numero uno dos and now the third one. I was watching the third season of Lost in Space with my family the other day and will... The young boy uh, he needed a heart transplant because an alien had poked his heart through, and that 's never good all right, so He needed to get a heart transplant, and he was going to have an artificial heart put in him. And one of his sisters was afraid because Will has such a good heart. He can't have an artificial heart put in because he has such a good heart. Now, the other sister knows that the heart, though, and she goes on to tell this sister, she says, Sis, the heart is more than what's beating in his chest he's going to be fine. Nothing's going to change because the heart is what you're passionate about. The heart is what you center your life around. And that's not going to change no matter if it's, if it's an artificial heart or what. Honestly, that's a pretty good illustration of the biblical view of the heart. When the Bible refers to your heart, it's not talking about the, the organ that pumps blood. It's talking about the wellspring of your life. Above all else, Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Whatever you do in life, whatever you're passionate about, it's reflective of your heart. At the bottom of all you do, at the bottom of all you think, at the bottom of all you're passionate about, at the bottom of every desire is your heart. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Proverbs 27 19. Now, before we come to Christ, our hearts are inclined away from God and toward ourselves. It's just a biblical reality. That's why there's so much brokenness in the world. It's because our hearts aren't right. But when you come to Christ, you get a new heart. Not a physical organ, mind you, but a new center that drives everything you do. And I will give you a new heart, Jeremiah says. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put a new spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Brothers and sisters, when you come to Christ, God does spiritual open heart surgery on you. And He replaces your old heart that beats after the likeness of your father Adam and He gives you a new heart that beats after the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'm serious. You actually get a whole new heart. You had a heart that was unresponsive to God. It was like a stone. It was hard. And now you get a heart that's responsive towards God. It's a heart of flesh. And this is why everything changes. Because the center and the source of it all has changed. This is why conversion is evidenced by change. Because a new heart leads to a new life. And that's the third truth. New union, new heart, new life. What does this new life look like? Let's just let the Bible do a little bit of the talking. I don't even want you to flip in your Bibles. I just want you to listen. You can go look at these verses. I've got got them all there. What does the new life look like? Let me just read it for you. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have heard from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother everyone who believes that jesus is the christ has been born of god and everyone who loves his father loves whoever has been born of him let me just tie those up into a bow for you the gist of all of those if you give yourselves to reread and reread them and i'd invite you to do that the references are there i'd invite you to just read through the whole book of first john even this afternoon read it with your family The gist of all of them can be summed up very simply. The new life of a Christian is a life no longer arced towards self, but towards God and God's people. The new life of a Christian is a life no longer arced towards self, but towards God and God's people. Brothers and sisters, what God has done in us is incredible. He takes us beastly as we are. Now, I'm sure we put makeup on our beastliness and we convinced ourselves that we were rather attractive. But in the eyes of God, we were not. And when you were being honest with yourself, you know you weren't. But He takes us beastly as As we are, and through this new union and this new heart, he turns us into radiant saints that reflect the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus. Now, as simple as this is to understand, I appreciate something Brad said on Friday night. Was it Friday night? Yes, Friday night. I appreciate something Brad said on Friday night. He said, This is simple to understand, but not easy to do. And so, what I want to do now is, I actually want to do this. Having painted the picture for you, and hopefully you're with me, that the Bible's picture of things is that when someone comes to Christ, they are transformed. And now we understand how that actually works. We got a new union with Christ, we got a new heart. I want to transition into the nitty gritty of it. What does this look like in real life? Here's the deal it is work. <laughs> oh. Has anybody ever told you that anything really worth doing is going to take work? sure they have that's like saying have you had a mcdonald's hamburger yeah somebody's told you that and if somebody's told you that i'm sure you know it's true how did the child pianist become a concert pianist through lots and lots of work how did the kid with a good arm become tom brady through lots and lots of work how does anybody become truly excellent in any skill or profession through patience through perseverance through practice in a word through work friends do you think it's going to be any different in the Christian life of course not Of course not. Practice in holiness, progress in obedience, progress in love. These things aren't automatic. Yes, you have a new heart inclined to love and obey God. But you have remaining sin on the inside, the world outside to tempt you, and the devil doing all he can to derail you. Holy dukes, if you think you're gonna make progress in the Christian life by doing nothing, you're nuts! You gotta work at this! Which is why the apostle Paul says things like this. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not submit your members to sin as instruments of of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Does that sound like work? Yes! That's good. I'm glad you're with me. So too, it sounds like work when the Apostle Paul says, Run! To win the prize. Some of you are like, I hate running. I understand. You're like, no you don't. You run all the time. My son has made me get into working out, which I actually hate. I like running. It's okay. that You didn't need to know that. But he says, run to win the prize. That's work. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. There's this assumption that we're doing this. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air, Paul says. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That sounds like work. Well, that's the Apostle Paul you say. Yes, he's our example, I say. Follow me, he says, as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Redeeming grace, brokenness to wholeness in our lives is going to look like work. There is no other way around it, but it is a hopeful work. It is a hopeful work because He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Philippians one six. It is a hopeful work because He said, "I will never leave you or forsake you." Hebrews thirteen five. Amen. It is a hopeful work because although Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, he went on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, amen. Listen, this is a hopeful work because the spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is inside of you. Sheesh. And you know, this bulletin had to go to print before I wrote this puppy, but I want to add a mini point. It's a happy work. I want you to write that in. It's work. It's a hopeful work. It's a happy work. You know, the people who are the best at what they do are the people that love what they do. The pro athlete loves practice. Not every minute of it, of course. Not all aspects of it, of course. But he loves it. And so the Christian loves the Christian life. Not every minute of it, of course. Not all aspects of it, of course. But having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the Christian wants to taste it more and see it more. And so he gives himself, she gives herself to the work necessary in order to grow and mature and develop. And she gives herself to it happily. Which brings me to my last point. It comes through Means. The athlete gives himself to running routes. If you don't sports, I'll explain that later. The pianist gives himself to playing scales. The comedian gives himself to writing jokes every day. The Christian gives himself to God's word, to prayer, and the church. Some of you are like, I know that. I know you do, but I don't know if you believe it. Brothers and sisters, the way we are going to grow, the way you are going to be transformed and changed and matured is through these things. It's through God's Word. It's through prayer. It's through the church which is why every year we have at least two sermons spurring us toward a commitment towards the Word of God and prayer, and we're going to do it again this year, next Sunday. Tell your friends, it's going to be about the Bible. Now let me just ask you, if you are not where you want to be, if things aren't well, with your soul, and only you know what's really not well. If you want to grow, if you want to change, it starts right here. I'm serious. It starts with seriousness towards God's word. Recommitting yourself to hear it. To listen attentively on Sunday morning and engage in home group and crack it open on Monday through Saturday somehow. It starts with seriousness towards prayer. Ask God for help. What are you struggling with? Are you going to the fountain of grace, God Himself, through prayer and saying, Oh God, help me. I need to hear that. I need to do that. And it starts with the church. Get time with a trusted brother or sister on the calendar. Tell them how you're doing for real. And give them permission to ask you nosy questions and challenge your wrong thinking or your actions that are off. And don't get upset when they do. And then let them point you toward obedience for God and love. Christ uses means, brothers and sisters, to transform us. To pick us up. And then set us down over the course of our lives. No longer a beast. But a prince. Isn't the gospel beautiful? Isn't the gospel powerful? Really powerful? This is what separates Christianity from simply, I'm okay, you're okay, God accepts us in our brokenness. He does accept us in our brokenness, but he does more, praise God, he puts Humpty Dumpty back together again. Amen, that's us. So if you're outside of Christ this morning and you want to be different, let me tell you, Christ will make you different. You don't have to be different to come to Christ and be accepted by Him. That's the glorious part about the gospel. You can come broken because He was broken for you and will accept you in your brokenness. But then better, He will make you different. Really different. The things you do that you don't want to do, that you can't seem to stop doing, He's going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to stop and to grow. Not perfectly, but progressively. Truly, really. And He's going to use, use His word, He's going to use the prayer, He's going to use prayer, and He's going to use His church. And if you're a Christian this morning and you're not where you want to be, and you're not where you should be, will you embrace the call to work? Some of you are not where you should be because you're simply lazy or distracted and it's had an incredibly negative impact on your own soul and your family pick up the means of grace and begin to engage in this hopeful and happy work and ask a brother or sister to help you hold you accountable encourage you and lift you up and they will and God will work and it will be stupid awesome let's pray father in heaven thank you for the power of the gospel it's a real power it's not a fake power it's not cables and 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 wires that that are creating an illusion that isn't there it's a real power that actually creates change and transformation. Oh, I thank you for the power of the gospel. And I ask, Father, that I and we, my brothers and sisters, would increasingly give ourselves to the hopeful and happy work of making use of the means of grace so that we continue to look more like the Prince of Peace, the Savior Jesus Christ. Use the next several weeks, Lord, the sermon series on the Word and prayer to help us in this, spur us on in this good work, comfort us, encourage us, woo us through this, Father, such that next year, when it comes to the end of December 2022, might things be different for us than they are right now, we pray. Oh, we thank you for the saving grace of Jesus Christ and for the sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the consummation, to the grace of Jesus Christ in its fullness. We look forward to that day. And we know we will be there because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. In Jesus' name, amen.